This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. See the latest designs from your favorite brands, including Thermador, at your local Ferguson showroom. Williams is investing in the next generation of energy delivery to meet our growing energy demand. Williams, we make clean energy happen. We've seen our fair share of juvenile criminal cases, and it's clear that children and teenagers can commit heinous acts. However, we have also seen how a person's environment and upbringing can shape their life and actions. This was clear in the case of Catherine and Curtis Jones, two siblings who were just 13 and 12 years old when they were convicted as adults. Their troubled childhoods led them to plot revenge against their primary oppressors, their own parents. Today, we will delve into the untold story of the youngest convicted adult murderers in history, Catherine and Curtis Jones. We will uncover the harrowing experiences they endured and how it ultimately drove them towards a path of violence at such a young age. So stay tuned as we explore the journey of these two individuals and how they became known as the youngest adult criminals ever convicted. Let's begin with Catherine, born in 1985 to her parents, Curtis Jones and Stacy Parks. While on the surface their family seemed happy, Behind closed doors was a world of abuse and violence inflicted by Curtis onto Stacy from the very beginning of their relationship. The abuse was so severe, one of Curtis's violent outbursts during Stacy's pregnancy ruptured her uterus and caused their first child, Catherine, to be born prematurely. A year later, on May 31, 1986, their second child, Curtis Fairchild Jones, arrived. Despite the hardships, the family appeared happy and content with each other's company. However, behind closed doors, Stacy continued to suffer physical abuse at the hands of Curtis. The children were probably aware of the situation too. Eventually, after enduring too much pain, Stacy left in 1989, unable to take her biracial children with her for fear of rejection from her own mother. Left in the care of their father, the once foursome became a trio and the children had to adapt to their new reality. But they would soon shatter this temporary peace as danger loomed ahead for them in their own home. Years went by, and Stacy's children exhibited concerning behavior. What could have caused this shift between 1989 and 1994? One of Curtis's male relatives lived with them during that period. Most times this wouldn't be because of concern. After all, families often live together for financial reasons. However, what no one knew or acknowledged was this relative's dark past. They had convicted him of robbery and were a registered pedophile. And in 1993, just a year before suspicions arose, they had found him guilty of sexually abusing his previous girlfriend's 14-year-old daughter. Curtis only disclosed the abuse he had suffered at the hands of this relative in 1994, when Stacy's children visited her for the holidays. The truth had finally come to light, but it may have been too late for their family to escape the darkness that had enveloped them. As the only other male in the household, Curtis Jr. had to share a room with a relative who would become his abuser. But he wasn't the only one suffering. Catherine also endured the same pain, though it is unclear if she ever spoke up about it at the time. 
Despite reports and investigations, nothing seemed to change until young Curtis changed his story under compulsion or fear. This would prove to be a fatal mistake, setting off a series of tragic events that could have been prevented by just one person taking action. But instead, years went by with Curtis and Catherine enduring continued physical and sexual abuse, occasionally speaking out but ultimately being ignored by their parents and authorities. In 1996, another investigation was opened after Curtis sustained a bruised and swollen eye, but it seems like nothing came of it. And even as late as 1998, mere months before the murder, a third investigation began concerning Catherine. It's unclear how far this investigation went, but given the tragic outcome, it's safe to assume not far enough. 13-year-old Catherine had run away from home. The school teacher, concerned for her safety, reported suspicions of sexual abuse. An investigation was launched, but like the ones before it, it was quickly shut down. Catherine claimed to have told her father about the abuse, but he didn't believe her and took the side of the family member in question. Intimidated by her father, Catherine lied to the officials and the investigations were stopped. Despite warning Curtis Sr. about the dangerous relative living with them, nothing was done. As trouble brewed within the Jones household, Curtis and Catherine continued to be abused, while their father and his girlfriend turned a blind eye. As siblings, Catherine and Curtis found solace in each other, especially in the sexual abuse they endured from a relative. While others turned a blind eye to their cries for help, Curtis believed Catherine because he too had experienced the horror. But for Catherine, the breaking point came when the abuser made a straightforward move while she was trying to take a shower. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. See the latest designs from your favorite brands, including Thermador, at your local Ferguson showroom. They left the traumatized young girl to sob in the corner as her abuser casually left 50 cents on the toilet seat. In her diary, Catherine wrote of wanting to kill everyone, including her father and his girlfriend who did nothing to protect them. Desperate to end their torment and prevent anyone else from suffering, Catherine and Curtis began plotting a way to eliminate their abuser and those who enabled him. On January the 6th, 1999, they put their plan into action as their father stepped out of the house and their abuser entered. The children were home alone with Nicole, not expecting her to return until later that evening. The two siblings had a plan, kill one person at a time with no one else in the house to witness it. And so they set out. Catherine and Curtis with their father's nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol in hand. As Sonia Nicole Spites sat at the dining room table, working on a jigsaw puzzle. The children retrieved their weapon of choice. Catherine took the first shot, hitting Nicole in the stomach but dropping the gun from the recoil. Curtis grabbed it and went wild, firing nine bullets, four of which were fatal. For a moment, it caught them up in the thrill of it all. But as reality set in and Curtis realized he had indeed killed someone, panic ensued. Catherine tried to calm him down as they attempted to clean up the scene and make it look like a robbery had gone wrong. Williams, we make clean energy happen. 
Did you know global energy demand is projected to increase nearly 50% by 2050? As demand for low-cost, low-carbon electricity grows, Williams will use our natural gas infrastructure to lead the charge into the clean energy future. We're investing in clean, reliable, and affordable energy delivery and technologies to meet the next generation of global energy demand. Bring on electrification. Williams is ready. Then they ran away from the house and stopped at their neighbor's place to cover their tracks. But this was no longer a twisted fantasy. It became a reality, and they would have to live with the consequences for the rest of their lives. The source of the call to the police remains a mystery. Some speculate their neighbors were responsible, while others believe Curtis Sr. discovered his girlfriend's lifeless body and called 911. Regardless, someone alerted law enforcement, and they began a full investigation. It turned out to be the only investigation that yielded any tangible results in the Joneses' household. Witnesses reported to the police that Curtis and Catherine handled Nicole's murder, leading them to launch a manhunt for the young siblings. The next morning, on January 7, 1999, they were found in the nearby woods. Reality hit them like a brick as they faced the consequences of their actions. Holding the record for the youngest individuals to be charged as adults at just 12 and 13 years old, Curtis and Catherine were facing a potential life sentence behind bars. However, because of their age, prosecutors offered a deal, pleading guilty to second-degree murder with a sentence of only 18 years of probation for life. This meant that there would be no proper trial or presentation of evidence against them, just a plea deal based on their young age and willingness to take responsibility for their actions. There were whispers about the children and their involvement in Nicole's murder, Rumors spread like wildfire, painting a dark picture of jealousy and spite towards their father's new love interest. But no one knew the truth, the real reason behind their silence. Perhaps they didn't speak up because people had ignored and dismissed them before. Maybe they thought it would be futile to try now. But as time went on, society came to a verdict. They painted Curtis and Catherine as cold-blooded killers who couldn't handle their father's attention being taken away from them. The media, the armchair analysts, all believed that their actions stemmed from a fear of losing their cozy dynamic with their mother. Curtis's lawyer spoke of a pact of silence between the siblings, while Mayor Todd Goodyear adamantly declared that their abuse could not excuse such heinous acts. And so the trial began, with everyone firmly believing that Curtis and Catherine were guilty, beyond any doubt. It wasn't until after sentencing that more details emerged. Details that could have changed everything, if only they had been known during the trial. But for Curtis and Catherine, it was too late. At just 13 and 14 years old, they were sentenced to 18 years in prison, followed by a lifetime of probation. Some may say they got what they deserved, but others wonder if things could have been different, if only someone had listened sooner. In life, our actions have consequences. But sometimes... Uncontrollable circumstances can shape those consequences. For the first 10 years of their imprisonment, the siblings' lives seemed devoid of any major events. But in 2004, Hurricane Francis tore through their facility, granting Curtis a brief taste of freedom. At just 19 years old, he and a group of teenagers made a desperate escape from the juvenile detention center. However, 
their newfound liberty was short-lived as they were recaptured after just 24 hours. As punishment for his escape attempt, Curtis had 318 days added to his sentence. It wasn't until five years later in 2009 that the truth behind the murder surfaced. In an interview with Florida Today, Catherine revealed that both she and her brother had experienced sexual exploitation, which drove them to commit the ultimate act of violence against Nicole. While expressing remorse for her actions, Catherine also admitted to feeling a sense of relief upon entering prison. She finally felt safe and removed from all the pain and abuse she had endured. In the same interview, Catherine shared she had only seen her brother once since their imprisonment. While they used to communicate through letters, their communication ended when Curtis was transferred to a different facility, and the warden deemed it inappropriate for them to continue contact as co-defendants in the case. Their story caught the attention of Ramis Fleming, a senior in the U.S. Navy, who was moved by Catherine's experiences. In the year 2013, Catherine and Raymond's love story began through handwritten letters. Despite being physically separated by bars, their bond grew stronger with each exchange of words. They sealed their love in marriage at the Hernando Correctional Institution Chapel in November of that year. At the time, Catherine was 28 years old, and Raymond made plans to retire from his naval officer position to support her re-entry into society. As Catherine's release date approached, Raymond eagerly awaited to guide her through a world that had changed drastically since she was 13. And finally, after serving over 85% of their sentence, both Catherine and Curtis were freed from prison. The exact date of Catherine's release may be uncertain, but it is known that she was released two weeks before her brother Curtis, who has now become an ordained Christian minister. But for Catherine, life outside of prison proved to be difficult, as her marriage did not last. However, she persevered and received a presidential academic scholarship for college, where she must maintain a high GPA. She also advocates for fair sentencing for young people, something that hits close to home for both her and Curtis. As they adapt to a world that has evolved technologically and socially in the 16 years they were incarcerated, they also must navigate the strict rules of their probation. But despite these challenges, they remain determined to make the most out of their second chance at life.